more than just a song to me. It really is the way that I feel about this God that I serve. All my life. I haven't always been faithful to Him. But all my life, He's been faithful. And all my life, he has been so, so good. I don't deserve his goodness. I don't deserve his kindness. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his love. But nevertheless, he's been faithful. He's been faithful. And I'm thankful. Aren't you thankful for His goodness? Aren't you thankful He's a good God? Discussing with our with the uh, college class that I'm teaching last night how that the nations that surrounded Israel were polytheistic, they served many gods. The thing about the gods that they served, their gods, you never knew really what to expect. Their gods weren't always equitable. They weren't always just. Seriously, if you ever make a study of these gods, they could just get angry and just, you know, if there was a flood, it was because the gods were mad at them. And there might not be any explanation for why the gods got mad. They just got mad. And they, they didn't see their gods as always being just and always being righteous. Their gods had the same personality traits they had. After all, they created their gods in their image. It's exactly what they did. But I'm so glad we serve a faithful God. And I don't have to get up tomorrow and wonder what kind of mood God is in. Seriously, I, I don't have to wonder. What, 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 what's he thinking today? What's he wanting me to do today? Am I going to do something that's going to upset him and bring down judgment on me and my family? Is he even going to listen to me today? Their gods were full of faults and failures. They committed horrid acts. I mean, in the minds of the people who created them. I'm so thankful our God is not that way. The one true living God. He could be that way if he wanted. He's God. But that's not his nature. That's not his character. He is a loving, compassionate, faithful, righteous, 
holy, just, kind, merciful, good God. And he's been that way all my life and he'll be that way if I die off the scene tonight. He was that way before I ever got here. And he'll be that way when I'm long gone. Because that's just who he is. And I'm glad that's who he is. Because he's that way. Because he changes not. Listen, we, we only quote usually a part of that verse in Malachi when he said, I'm the Lord, I change not. The rest of that verse is, therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, I don't change. And that's why I haven't just fried you. Because I've always been merciful and I'll always be merciful. I've always been loving and I will always be loving. If I were any other kind of God, you wouldn't be around right now. That's what he's saying to them. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed because I don't change. No matter what you do, no matter how much you change, I don't. That's what he's saying. And I'm glad for that tonight. I'm, I'm so thankful for that knowledge now, I'm not really entirely off the subject because, because God is a God who changes not, we can know what makes Him happy and what displeases Him. Because He doesn't change, we can open the pages of His Word and understand this is what He expects of us. This is what he asks of his people. And that doesn't change. I don't care that it's 2023. God hasn't changed. Many churches have changed. We talked about this, I think, on Sunday morning. That you go back a hundred years... And you'll find every church, not just apostolic churches, but every church held a much different standard than they hold today. And I'm going to tell you, it's not because God changed. It's not because God decided he wanted to be a little bit more up to date. No, it's not God that made a decision about changing. It's men. And, and let me just tell you this as kindly as I know how. The problem is, once again, man is trying to create God in his own image. preached a message that I'm sure none of you remember. Uh, it's been a long time ago. It's been many years ago. Many of you were not even here when I preached the message. 
those who were, I'm sure you don't remember it. But I remember it. The Lord actually moved on me to, to preach it again uh, one other time that I can think of. The title of my message was Holy Cow. And I preached about Aaron and the children of Israel at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And how they erected a golden calf. They danced around it. They worshipped it. And what Aaron actually said to the people, the King James does it a little bit of disservice, honestly. Because the King James says that Aaron looked at the people and said, these are your gods which brought you out of Egypt. Now, the, the children of Israel didn't believe that there were multiple gods. It's a mistranslation. The actual Hebrew is, this is Elohim. Elohim is the very word that's used in Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. So what Aaron was saying to the people is, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. But here's the interesting thing about this God. They can strip down naked and dance around this God, and he never condemns them. He doesn't say anything to them about it being wrong. He doesn't convict them. He doesn't speak to them to tell them you shouldn't do that. They created a God who was deaf and mute. So they could do what they wanted to, live like they wanted to. Aaron was not saying this is a different God, let's serve a different God. Aaron was saying this is the same God you've always served, but he can't hear you and he can't see you do what you want. Now look, Paul warned of the same thing. Paul said they come preaching another Jesus. Can I tell you that's exactly what's going on in much of Christianity today? They are preaching a different Jesus. They're preaching a Jesus that is blind and deaf and mute. You can cuss. You can live like you want to. You can act like you want to. You can dress like you want to. You can do what you want to. You can go what you want, where you want to. You can watch what you want to. You can listen to what you want to. You can act any way you want to. And he is not going to say a word to you. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. So many times we focus on Jesus talking to the woman who was brought to him caught in the very act of adultery. We focus on the fact that he said, neither do I condemn thee. And he did say that. But we can't stop right there. He then went on to say, now go and sin no more. Why do we overlook that part of it? He was very clear. All right, I'm going to forgive you. But I don't want you going back and doing it again. That's the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible came up to a man he had just healed. Anybody remember that story? John chapter 5. And he said, you better be careful. You better stop what you're doing. 
lest a worse thing come upon you. That's the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible on two occasions in his ministry made a whip and drove people out of his house. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus of modern day Christianity. The Jesus of modern day Christianity doesn't care at all what you do, what you say, where you go, how you act. And I said this to the class last night. And I've said this to this church before. But if you went to an oncologist who told you we've run tests, we found you've got cancer. If that oncologist, you say, well, what are you going to do about it, doc? He says, oh, nothing. I love you so much. I'm just going to be here and support you. You can count on me. I love you. Doesn't matter you got cancer. I love you. I'm going to find another doctor. I don't want a doctor that's going to leave me with my problem. I want a doctor that's going to fix my problem. So Jesus doesn't save us in our sin. What did the angel say? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. He doesn't save them in their sin. He saves them from their sin he says that sin is a cancer and I'm going to get it out of you I may have to cut it out I may have to give you some treatments but I love you too much to leave you that way and this is what I said to them I said he loves you enough to let you come as you are but he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. That's the kind of God I serve. And that's the kind I want to serve. He's here to help me to change. Well, praise God. So, that's really not off the topic tonight. Um, it's not specific to the topic, but it lays a good foundation. For the last several months, actually, I start to say several weeks, but it's we started this right after the first of the year. Um, I'm in the process of writing another book, and uh, this book is going to be on the subject of separation, and so we've been teaching on separation as I'm preparing uh, to put this book together, and I really felt led of the Lord to do this. It's not just that I want to get this book put together. Although I see a desperate need, as time continues to pass, I feel more and more of an urgency to get this book out. We need it today. People need to understand that the standards of holiness that have been held by the apostolic church are not something that's outdated and outmoded and unnecessary. They're just as important now as they've ever been. 
In fact, I think they're more important now than they've ever been. Because there was a time when everybody lived this way. Now more than ever, we need a clear sound. We need somebody to, to, to sound the trumpet and give us clear direction. This is what God wants. This is what His Word says. This is why we live the way we live. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 16 and 17. This has been our text for this lesson. And we are on part three of this lesson. First Corinthians chapter three, verses 16 and 17. The apostle Paul said, Know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Now, I just want to point out to you again, this is a New Testament scripture. This is, we're not talking about, you know, people have this idea that the God of the Old Testament would judge sin, but the God of the New Testament doesn't. This is a New Testament verse. And the apostle makes it clear to the church, you defile God's temple, God will destroy you. Why? For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? You are that temple that's supposed to be holy. And you can't defile what is supposed to be holy and get by with it. So tonight, part three of our lesson that we've entitled A Clean Temple. A Clean Temple. Would you put your Bibles down? Lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Let's praise Him together before we're seated. Can we do that? Everybody, let's give God some praise. Let's give God some praise. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to do some review here tonight. Um, just to try to bring everybody up to speed. I would again, to those that are listening online, or anyone here that may not have been present for each of these lessons, I would strongly encourage you to go to our website and catch up. Listen to the previous lessons. I don't have time to go back and reteach everything that I've taught. But I've, I've spent literally months now um, trying to stress the importance of separation from the world. 
and how vital that is to us as the people of God. We have to be holy because God is holy. And, and so I would encourage you, go back and listen to those lessons. Catch up on that. It'll help you to understand a lot of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. But let me just try to very quickly give you a review. And I really need to make it very quickly or we're not going to get any, anywhere tonight if I don't do this review very quickly. Um, we've talked about the fact that when you look at uh, four of the first five books of the Old Testament. A large percentage of the content of those books deals in some way with either the building or the care or the service of the house of God. Because that house is considered holy, God doesn't want it dealt with in just any way. God was very specific about the uh, dimensions. He was specific about the materials. God was very meticulous. I mean, down to minute details about things. He didn't leave any of it to man's opinion. When it came to the building that was going to house his glory, he was very specific about how it was to look, how it was to be used how it was to be cared for, how it was to be assembled and taken down. Only certain people could even carry the pieces of this tabernacle. God really was given to minute details about this because it was His holy house. And now the Apostle Paul tells us that it is our bodies that have become the holy house of God. Why do we think that all of a sudden God no longer cares about how we take care of His house? God does care about it just as much as He ever did. He's still concerned about the way we treat His house. And I speak specifically of the temple of our bodies. Although I do believe God cares how we treat his house, his physical house. And I, I, I know, I know, I know, and I've probably said it myself, time passing, well, you know, this, the wood, the, the, the pews, the carpet, that's not the house of God. You're, uh, we are the house of God. We're, we're, and, and I understand that, but I've, I'm telling you, especially since COVID, I've had to come back and be very careful about that statement. Because we do need to recognize God does have a special affinity for any house we dedicate to His service. And I can prove that in the Scripture. God does not just ignore the fact that this building is considered His house. And so our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Ghost. And we are commanded in the New Testament to glorify God, not just in our spirit, but in our bodies as well. In fact, Paul says that that is perfect holiness. Perfect holiness is not just on the inside. It's on the inside and the outside. 
I want to be very clear. It takes both to have perfect holiness. Because there are those who only focus on the outside. And God's not pleased with that. But then there are those who say they only focus on the inside. And God's not pleased with that either. Either one is a dangerous ditch to fall into. We've got to have both. In fact, you know that there is a place in the Old Testament where he refers to his people as a great speckled bird. That's more than just some old country tune. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now. But some of you do. It was a popular, a popular song that was sung, sung in churches. What a beautiful thought I am thinking. It's concerning the great speckled bird. But, but the scripture actually uses that term. And it's talking about the people of God. Now, if we are God's great speckled bird, I want you to think about something. Every bird has two wings. And if it only has one, it's not going to fly. And can I tell you that the two wings of the people of God is, is, is glorifying God in both our body and our spirit. And if we cut off either one of those wings, we're not going to fly. We've got to have both. Well, hallelujah. All right. Some of you can go home and Google the great speckled bird. Most of the congregation is not going to enjoy the song, but some of you will. Um, anyhow, let me get back to my text here, my notes. Listen. We need to glorify God in the body of, in, in the temple of our body. And this is so serious with God that the scripture says he will destroy anyone who defiles that temple. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty important. And so we started talking about certain sins of the flesh. Now, we will spend time dealing with the sins of the spirit as well. We're, we're going to get to those things, all right? Right now, we are, we're, we're going to talk about some sins of the flesh, some things that we need to be careful of. And I, I started out saying that there were four specific areas of danger that uh, we wanted to look at. And um, since then, before I got finished with last week's lesson, I added to that uh, some things, some other areas of danger. And I've gone and added those to my notes. Probably won't get to that tonight. Probably won't. Um, just because of the time factor. Uh, but we'll go as far as we can go tonight and cover as much as we can cover, and then we'll pick it up again next week, Lord willing. But um, I will tell you that in spite of what I said last week, I, I said there were four areas of danger. I've changed my notes to just simply say some areas of danger because by the time I finish tonight, I may think of some more. I don't know. So I'm not going to put a number there. But these are some areas that we need to be aware of and need to be concerned about. Now, I told you, hopefully, most of you, hopefully, none of you, really, um, 
Now, let me say this right. Hopefully, most of you are not dealing with this. Hopefully, none of you are dealing with this. All right? Hopefully, this doesn't even apply, but, but I can't deal with a clean temple and not address these subjects. So, so last week, we spent a lot of time dealing with alcohol. And, and the problem, the scriptural problem with alcohol. And again, I hope that all of you understand I'm not up here just throwing out random things. But I'm dealing with every one of these from the scripture. And showing you what the Bible says about this. And the Bible really does have a lot to say about alcohol. And if you don't think it does, go listen to last week's lesson. Because it really does. And so tonight we're going to pick up on another one of those sins of the flesh. And again, I'm hoping that none of you have this problem. But whether you have the problem or not, it helps for us to know what the Bible says about it. And why we avoid it. And so tonight we're going to start with the topic of smoking. Now, some years ago I was pastoring in Mississippi and I, I, I lived across the street from the church and I, I looked out the window one day and the young people had changed the sign in front of the church and, and we were getting ready to have, I think, an anniversary service or something, some big service. We were going to have all kinds of guests. It was a big deal. And I looked out, and they had put on the sign, where will you sit in eternity, smoking or non? And I called our youth leader and said, look, you know, that's really funny and it's eye-catching, but that's not a good sign before our, our special service. Could you, could you do something about that? Um, of course, the smoking they were talking about is not the same as the smoking I'm talking about, you understand. Although, if you get involved in the smoking I'm talking about, then just plan on your eternity being spent in the smoking section. There is a, there is a connection there. Well, hallelujah. It is a highly documented fact that smoking contributes to cancer. Tobacco contributes to cancer. Cancer of the lungs, cancer of the lips, cancer of the mouth. Um, it is, it's, it's highly documented. So convincing is the evidence that the Surgeon General of the United States many years ago won the fight to have a warning label placed on every package of cigarettes every advertisement for cigarettes, for tobacco products. Because there's no denying the connection. You do this, you are putting your body at risk. No question. We can't even argue it. Now, if you'll remember, back when I taught on how standards are set, I made mention of the fact that our forefathers in the apostolic movement actually preached against smoking before science proved it was harmful. 
the Spirit of God convicted those praying men and had them get up and warn the people not to do it. And they didn't really even have Scripture. They couldn't go to 1 Corinthians 3. Don't defile the temple of God. Because they didn't know it defiled it. They just knew the Holy Ghost said don't do it. And that's why we do have to allow for the Holy Ghost to bring conviction sometimes. Even when we may not have chapter and verse. And I'm going to be the first to tell you, no, there is no scripture that says, thou shalt not smoke tobacco. Or thou shalt not dip snuff. That there is no verse that just comes right out and says that. But there are plenty of scriptural principles that we need to recognize and know. First of all, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought into the power of any. Now, my point in this is not that cigarettes and tobacco are lawful. My point is Paul is laying out a principle that even if it is lawful, even if there is no scripture that says don't do it, I'm not going to allow myself to become addicted to anything. Now, I'm going to tell you, this could preach a lot of different directions. Because there are people who get addicted to a lot of things. There are people who are addicted to pornography. There are people who are addicted to electronic games. There are people who are addicted to gambling. Now, there is a principle here that Paul stresses in this verse. That I am not going to become subject to the addicting power of anything. I refuse to let myself get addicted. Now, there are, as I've said, there are other scriptures that we can point to. But I think this is a good place to start. Because, again, it is proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that nicotine is extremely addictive. And not just nicotine. I mean, we could get into marijuana. You know, somebody said, well, God created marijuana, so he doesn't mind us smoking it. Someone else said, well, you know, God also created poison ivy, but he doesn't want us rolling in it. God created quicksand, but he doesn't want us trying to swim in it. Now, now, now listen to me. It's a proven fact. 
that these things are addictive. And God doesn't want us as the people of God to have anything dictating our life other than Him. If anything is causing us, it's forcing us to respond in a certain way. Then God is not the one leading us. Oh, I'm, I'm, about to, I'm about to really wade into some dangerous territory now. Everybody's ready to amen me on nicotine. But I'm going to tell you. Maybe I need to. That's not solid. Up front. I can't hide behind that. You can still throw something and hit me there. We can become addicted to food. And rather than taking our troubles to God, we let food become our comfort. We reach out to other things rather than reaching out to God. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, and I know, I mean, I've had my own struggles. I'm, I'm not trying to throw stones at anybody. But I'm just telling you, God doesn't want us finding substitutes for Him. When we're stressed, how should we deal with stress? Pray! Pray, not buffet. Good, you can laugh about it. Praise God. <laughs> How should we deal with disappointment? Pray. How should we deal with loneliness? Pray. But can I tell you things like nicotine and alcohol... And whatever else can become our go-to substance. Where instead of going to God, we find something else. And listen to me, saints. I don't care what it is. God doesn't want anything else to take his place. God doesn't want anything else to take his place. When he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he's not just talking about idols made out of stone or wood. He doesn't want anything else to be our go-to source of strength or comfort or peace. talk more about some of this in a few minutes maybe or next week maybe <laughs> so brace yourself um let's throw this verse in proverbs 23 2 
And look, I'm just the messenger, all right? Don't get mad at me. We've got, we've got a number of postal employees here tonight. You know, you don't get mad at them because you get some nasty letter in the mail. Right? Don't go chew Brother Self out because you got a nasty letter. He didn't write it. Hopefully. So don't get mad at me just because I'm reading the letter. I didn't write it. What does it say? Proverbs chapter 23. Is it verse 2? Yes. All right. Proverbs 23 and 2. Read. And put a knife to thy throat. Put a knife to thy throat. Thou be a man given to appetite. Do we believe that every scripture is inspired? I mean, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Now, I am, I really am talking about tobacco tonight, nicotine, cigarettes. That's, that's my subject tonight. And the point is that the wise man said, if you can't control yourself, you need to take whatever drastic measures are necessary. To put an end to what's controlling you. Only God should be in control of your life. He doesn't want you to literally commit suicide. That's not the idea. Not any more than what Jesus literally wants you to pluck your eyeball out or cut off your right hand. The point is take drastic measures to put a stop to what's going to destroy you spiritually. And if anything becomes your go-to source, instead of going to God, instead of praying, instead of seeking God, instead of going on a fast, instead of taking your cares to the Lord, you turn to nicotine. You need to take some drastic measures. To put an end to whatever is controlling you. I remember years ago a man writing a song. And, and he was known. I mean he, he, he could write some very pointed lyrics. And usually they were pretty funny. But I mean he sang them. I don't think he was really intending to be funny. He was, he was singing to try to make a point. But he, he wrote this song. There goes a cigar and it's smoking that man. There goes a shiny new car, and it's driving that man. And the point was this, that the man's not in control. The things are in control. And this is what we've got to be careful of, church. We want God to be the only thing, the only one who controls us. We don't want anything else to be in control of our faculties. We don't want to get involved in something that's going to demand that we do it. That we can't help ourselves. That we have withdrawals if we go very long without it. I'm telling you, when you reach that point, you're addicted. 
And you should not be brought under the power of anything. And you certainly, certainly should not allow anything that's going to defile your temple. Right? Now, I don't think I put it in your notes, so you can just get your Bible and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and read for me again. Verses 16 and 17, we read it as our text, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, if anything defiles this body of ours, nicotine does, tobacco does. In fact, it not only defiles your body, it defiles the body of anybody who gets close. Secondhand smoke can do just as much damage. So you're not only harming your own temple, you're harming other people's temples as well. What does it say? 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17. Read it. Know ye not that you are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Because the temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are. Which temple ye are. Well, praise God. I'm, I'm telling you tonight that we have to understand. We have to come to know that anything we do that is going to bring destruction to this body, and we know it's going to destroy it. We know it's going to do damage to this body. We know it's going to have an impact on this body. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for me, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And again, this is not in the notes, but, but let's, let's put it in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's just be specific about this. And, and, and verse number 15. In fact, we, we may read more than just that. But, but let's start with verse 15. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Know ye not that Don't you know your bodies are your body, of Christ? Your body is the member of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Yeah, read. What? Know ye not, uh, know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot... When you're is joined to body. a harlot, you, you become one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. Uh-huh. But he that is joined but to he the that's Lord, joined to the Lord is one spirit. Now look, understand what Paul is saying. What we do with our body Directly, in, uh, directly affects our spirit. And when we've been born again, our spirit is joined to the Lord. So whatever we do with our body, we are, we are bringing God into that action. Read on. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. Uh-huh. But he that committeth fornication, sinneth against his own body. He sins against his own body. All right, now let's keep reading. What? Know ye not. Know ye not. That your body. Is your body. Your body. This is, I'm, I'm using this to absolutely nail down the fact that it is your body which is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Which is in you. It's in you. Which ye have of God. You have it because God trusted you enough to put it there. Ye are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. 
For ye are bought with a price. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, Therefore glorify, glorify God in your body, in your body and, in your, and in your spirit, which, which both belong to God. Your body belongs to God. Your spirit belongs to God. Your spirit's been joined to God. Now what you do with this body, you're bringing God into this mix. You're subjecting God to what you're doing. You light up a cigarette. You take a toke of, uh, of marijuana. You, you, you take drugs. You, you, you drink alcohol. Do you know you are making God participate in all of that? And God's not going to be a part of those things. I'm telling you, if we walked in here on Sunday morning and, and somebody had put graffiti all over these walls, had busted up this pulpit, broken our altars, Kicked holes in the sheetrock. We'd be upset. Who would do that to the house of God? Who would do that to the house of God? And yet, you light up a cigarette. And you line your lungs with nicotine. How's that any different? You fry your mind with drugs. How is that any different? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself because the next topic is drugs. I don't have time to get into that. Um, so we're going to have to save that for next week. But would God have approved of a vandal entering the holy of holies in the tabernacle? Painting the ark of the covenant with a tar brush? Of course not. But do you know something more precious than the ark of the covenant is residing in our hearts? Why do we want to paint it? With the corruption of this world. Of course that applies to so many things. It applies to so many things. And we're going to talk about a lot of those things before this lesson is over. Not just this series, but this particular lesson. We're going to talk about a whole lot of things that impact the temple of your body. And we need to understand as the people of God that God does not want us doing these things because we are defiling His holy temple. When God chose to put His Spirit inside of you, God then gave to you the obligation to keep that dwelling place holy. Now, I'm, I'm, musicians, where are you? I, I've, I've got to quit. 
just because of time's sake. And I know if I get into a next subject, I've got several pages of notes here. Don't have time to get into that, though I've touched on it a little bit here tonight. Um, but we need, we need to recognize, we need to understand that God looks at our bodies as a holy house. And we should look at them in the same way. Protecting the holiness of God that dwells inside of us. Paul said, when you go and are joined to a harlot, don't you understand what you're doing? You've just joined the temple of God to a harlot. Now, that doesn't mean as much to us as it meant to those Jews. But that meant something to them. When you talk to them about doing something ungodly to the temple, that meant something. Paul says, that's exactly what you're doing. With the things you're getting involved in, you are tainting God's house. I started to say a while ago, when I was coming up as a young man, I used to hear people say, the Bible says the Spirit of God won't dwell in an unclean temple. Well, you know, I've searched the Bible through and through, and I've never found that verse. I know that may blow your mind. Now you go look for it. If you can find it, I'll be glad to get up and apologize. I hadn't found it. I do believe it's a biblical principle that you keep defiling the temple and God's going to destroy that relationship you have with Him. God will abandon that relationship. He will leave if you continue to defile that house. But at the same time, I don't want anybody to think that because you go and mess up one time, God just bails on you. Because that's not true either. We do have to keep this temple holy. And we talked about this on Sunday morning, if not this week, we did the week before, but or one week, but, but, but the fact is that John wrote and said, My little children, these things write unto you, but you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I don't want you to do it, but if you do, there's one who will help you to overcome that sin. I'm not here tonight to try to bring condemnation on anybody. I'm here to tell you, if you are having a problem in these areas, God wants to help you. In fact, you know, John chapter 14, I talked about this in class last night. I'm sorry that I keep referring back to last night's class. You know I don't normally do this, just keep going back to that class. But, but there were so many things I said last night that are so tied in closely to what I'm talking about tonight. John chapter 14 refers to the Holy Ghost in a very specific way. It calls the, hum, the, the, the Holy Ghost the comforter. Right? 
John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. That word comforter in the Greek is parakletos. Or in English, we say paraclete. Now, that may not mean much to you, but what it really means is one called alongside to help. That's what the Holy Ghost is. The Holy Ghost comes to your side to help you. So when you're struggling with these areas, the Holy Ghost is here to help you. Listen, God wants that temple clean. He wants it holy. He understands your weaknesses. He understands your failures. He understands your frailties. And that's why He gave us the Holy Ghost. Was to be that paraclete, to be that one who comes alongside to give you the help that you need. Whatever your weakness is, His Spirit is there to give you the strength to make up for that weakness. In fact, He told Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you'll learn to depend on His strength. Preach, I'm just struggling with this thing. I can't give it up. God will help you to give it up. God will help you to lay it down. God will help you to walk away from it. He wants to do it. He's not looking for a way to condemn you. He's looking for a way to help you. If you'll let Him. He just doesn't want you to continue in sin wants you to be freed from it. Whether it's alcohol or cigarettes or whatever it is. We're going to talk about some other things in the weeks to come. But whatever it is, God wants to help you with that. And it may not be alcohol or cigarettes or drugs. But whatever your weakness is, His strength is sufficient for He can help you to overcome if instead of trusting in these things, instead of running to that nicotine, instead of running to that alcohol, instead of running to that drug, instead of running to whatever, run to Him. Let Him get you out of it. He will with the temptation. We spent weeks on Sunday morning teaching on temptation. He will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape. He'll help you get out of it if you'll trust in Him. Let's stand and lift our hands to Him tonight, can we? Let's talk to the Lord, everybody. Come on, let's talk to Him. Let's talk to him. Come on, let's reach out to him right where you are. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to ask you to come to an altar tonight, but right where you are, right where you are, would you reach out to the Lord? Only you and God know what your weakness is. Would you ask Him to help you? He wants to do that. He wants to become the strength that you need. He wants to deliver you. If you're addicted, if you're bound, He wants to set you free.